it just goes to show you that like that your brand is like the perception of like what people mm. think it is, right? Like it's it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it matters to an extent, like what you put into it, but like at the end of the day, it's what people get out of it. Welcome or welcome back to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the fantabulous Megan Gersh. Megan Gersh is a branding and web design unicorn that has been in the field for over 16 years. She has worked with some of the most well-known names in the entertainment industry, including Netflix, Spaceland Presents, The Echo, Echoplex, Region Theater, KCRW Radio, Live Nation, and more. She also co-hosts the Your Sparkly Brand Podcast, a show designed to empower entrepreneurs with the tips, tools, and strategies needed to make their businesses stand out from their competitors. Megan, our audience can't see you, but I can see you. So I get to look upon your glorious hair as I ask you this pivotal question, the question, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? They need to focus on standing out on social media, standing out with their brand and being bold with their marketing. All right. What does bold mean? Does bold mean that I have to be flashy and go with all the trends or does bold mean I need to be gregarious? What does bold mean? Well, bold to me means that you are just differentiating from everybody else in your market. So it doesn't necessarily have to be flashy or trendy, although that might be a part of your brand. But bold to me just means really embodying yourself, like your core values, your mission and your business and really honing in on that and staying true to that. I love that you brought up values here because one thing that I've seen with my, you know, salt of the earth empath helper type clients is that they tend to be very values driven, but sometimes their values foster uh, kind of like accidental meekness, like, oh, I need to be, I'm living in my values and therefore I must be generous and humble to the point of undercharging and never talking about myself. Like, I'm so interested in this idea that you're saying, like, you can be bold in your values. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think a part of the reason that people fall into that humbleness and that meagerness is because it's hard, because it's like, it's not an easy thing to do to stand for something and to actually give your opinion online, because it opens you up to all of this, like everybody's going to have something to say about no, no matter what you say, people are going to have something to say, right? Uh, whether that be good, bad, or somewhere in between. Um, and so really owning that part of yourself can be really, really difficult. And it takes time and it takes practice to really step into that power. And it's a process too. You know, I don't wake up seven days a week being like, 
you know, all gung ho about confidence in myself, but (laughs) it's a, it's, it's, it's a practice, right? It takes time to kind of build that over time. Yeah. And tools, right. It takes time and it takes the tools that you know that you can lean on of like, okay, these are the things that I can do to ground or center myself or feel more confident, or these are the people in my work fam that I could pull on for validation when I really need it. Not just when I crave it, but like, I'm about to jump off a cliff. Is this a good idea or not? Okay, hold on. Let me go to my advisors who are going to give it to me straight, right? There are times for that. And You're right, though, because it is it's standing for something is hard. And as a solopreneur or the leader of a small army, the vision and the continuation of that loud, bold promise is on you. So, you know, if you turn your light down, if you turn your mic down, then you're making it harder for other people to find you, but it's really only impacting you. So I think that's so great to talk about like the energetic cost of our marketing and the energetic cost of confidence because it's not freaking easy. No, no, it's definitely not. And it takes practice. Um, And there's so many different ways that you can build your brand too. Like, you know, people say like, oh, the, the key to being successful in business is consistency. Well, consistency looks different for everybody energetically. Yeah. Like, you know, there's different things that you can do as far as like batching your content and like figuring out different ways that you can integrate your branding into your process and stuff like that. But uh, one thing that I always tell to my clients is like when it comes to building your brand, like it's so important to think of every single touch point in the process as a branding touch point. So that way you're not having to like, yeah. So that way you're not having to like post three times a day. I mean, you could, you know, if you have the energy for that, definitely post three times a day, but like most of us don't have that energy and the time to do that. Um, So when you look at your branding kind of from a bird's eye view instead you get lots more opportunities to infuse that branding into every single touch point and your onboarding documentation and your offboarding. You know, maybe there is a surprise and delight factor that you integrate with your clients. Mm. Maybe there's that. Yeah. Like, you know, all of those like gifting opportunities, support materials you can provide to your clients. There's like, when you start thinking about this bigger picture of like what it is to create that brand, you start to see so many different opportunities where you can support your clients. And not all of them have to be paid opportunities. Some of it can be as simple as like reposting their content on social media and like yes! shouting them out to your people. Yes! Like super easy stuff. Yes. Everyone's always like, Annie, you're the queen of LinkedIn. You're so killing it on LinkedIn. You know what I do on LinkedIn, y'all? I celebrate other people's good stuff. And then every now and then I come up with a reason to tag a bunch of my friends in a post. That's it. Like I am running LinkedIn like a middle school click. Yeah. I'm following along to see what my own cool kids are doing. Not who the industry says is cool. Who I know is cool. I'm blowing up their stuff. And every now and then I'm throwing a little party and putting myself in the center of it in LinkedIn. That's what I'm doing over there that everyone's like, oh my gosh, your LinkedIn strategy. Y'all, I'm a strategist and I get paid a lot of money for strategy. Don't hire me for LinkedIn. Just go blow up your friend's post. Come on. (laughs) It's true though. I mean, it's all about like creating that community and those connections and really, you know, building that 
community where you can kind of lift each other up. Yep. Yes. And like, honestly, just like approaching client relationships as more of like a partnership where like when, once you start working together, you can just, you know, symbiotically kind of support each other. I think because I've been doing this for so long and because I have such a weird and intense loving relationship with the majority of my clients, um, I think it's so interesting that you bring up this idea that it's really partnership because in my mind, I'm like, duh. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, duh, now after doing this for almost 13 years. I'm like, duh, now when I show up in this full Muppet empathy that I have to reforce boundaries every single day. Like I say, duh, but I totally get that there are times in my own history that I've kind of glossed over when I think about it, where my client work did not feel like partnership or when I have hired people and it has not felt like partnership. So I think what you're talking about especially in terms of marketers and who's going to be out there amplifying you and helping more people find you is that it has to be that partnership energy. So how do we foster that, Megan? How do we hire the right person or how do we train the right person or how do we show up in partnership to make it easier for everyone involved? Just riff on legit any of that. There were like 57 questions in there. Pretend there was one and and answer it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the first step is honestly getting really clear on your mission and core values, like going to that first step of the branding process. This is something that I tackle with all of my clients first. We dig into that psychology of like, who are you trying to reach? Why are you trying to reach them? And how are you going to impact their lives, right? When you get clear on that, and so many people do not have clarity on this, they think that they know, but when we start to dig into it, they really start to uncover these details that they had not been targeting before. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you get clarity on that, everything else becomes so much easier. You can create a design, like a branding design that speaks to that target person. You, like this is something that feeds into every single part of your marketing strategy. And it is the foundation that you need in order to effectively reach not only the people that you want to work with, but the people that you want to hire people that, you know, you want in your circle, like it, it, it goes to everything. And similarly to this, like it also helps to repel the people that you don't want to work with, right? We've all had a corporate job at one point or another where we've had a client where it's been a less than ideal client, right? Like we want to repel those types. Now that we are on our own, you know, you know, so, you know, exactly the beauties of entrepreneurship, right? Oh, yeah. I think the day that you fully realize and embody that you only have to work with the clients you want to work with is such a oh yeah glorious, liberating Shawshank Redemption Day. Like you are out of the tunnel of corporate shit and you are bathed in the Andy Dufresne reign of partnership. Like, yes, I only have to work with people that appreciate me. Yes, I only have to work with people that are collaborative and understanding. Yes. And then you get to rise to the occasion of delighting and surprising those people, right? You brought up delight and surprise before. That's basically my entire customer service strategy is like, okay, deliver what you say you're going to deliver, chuck in some delights and some surprises and you're good, right? But 
But that's what it feels like when you're in partnership because then you don't have to waste energy on little interpersonal drama. And instead, both of you can focus on delivering a superior whatever, right? Like whatever the heck it is. So why do you think, why do we default to more corporate client service provider relationships, even when we know that we don't have to? Is that stress? Is that just habit? Like, why do we get pulled backwards into weird paradigms that we think we've outgrown? I mean, I think a lot of it is conditioning, right? Like our parents are just of a different generation. Like we grew up hearing, like, if you want to be successful, you have to work hard. And that's just case in point, like not the case anymore. Like you can make a product and sell it forever. And that can be your whole business model if you want it that to be it. Um, you know, and I think that it's a lot of, you know, we all have had, you know, corporate jobs in the past and we have had, um, you know, places where essentially we, we go, we have to check in at 9am. We go, we go home at 5pm. We have these like check-in processes with managers and stuff like that. And we're just conditioned, right? Yeah. To feel beholden, to feel supervised, to feel judged, to feel graded, right? All of those things. Oh, am I doing my job like a good little worker bee? Will I make the boss happy today? And it's like, you are the boss. Make yourself happy today. And then sometimes the client (laughs) is the boss. Make them happy unless they're being unreasonable and then make yourself happy again. Like... (laughs) You know, it's a dance. It's it's an interesting dance. Like being your own boss and doing your own marketing and, and standing up in that way, just like what you said before, it's hard, you know, and, and we're not our parents or our grandparents' generation. We don't have to, you know, go to World War II or, you know, my dad got kind of forced into an engineering degree because his uncle was the only one who had previously gone to college. And so they're like, okay, Pete, you're going to be an engineer now. Like the that kind of thinking has lessened a lot by the time our generations rolled around. And yet there's still a whole lot of us doing a lot of self-limiting when it comes to self-employment. Like we are out on our own doing it. And then, you know, you don't have to work as hard or this or that. I, one of the main phrases that I, that I love that I've really kind of adopted in my life. And I wish I remember who said it is choose your hard, right? Like Mm -hmm. ballerinas have broken toes, but they get to do professional ballet, choose your hard. Right. And, and one of the ones that's always been said to me in terms of with like my weight and my autoimmune and and everything like that is like losing weight is hard. Being a full figured person is hard. Having an immune disease is hard. Choose your heart. You can't always choose. But when you can, do you want to spend your effort doing this or do you want to spend your effort doing that? And so when people are like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and become a coach overnight and sell a program that I never have to market. I'm like, okay, sure. Are you going to dedicate five years getting the reach that you need in order to get to that point of overnight success? Are you going to dedicate, you know, hours upon hours on end to making that product so sensational that it basically sells itself? Are you going to deal with, you know, customer service and Stripe and when Kajabi accidentally deletes your whole program? Are you going to deal with all that? And they're like, oh, no, I'm just going to coast into it. It's like, you know. 
no. Right. So I think you're totally right that it's hard and it takes effort and it takes power and it takes a hell of a lot of confidence. And when we don't do it consistently, it's like we almost hurt our own momentum, right? Like I know when I fall off the wagon of my marketing, I fall off the wagon of my marketing. Like I won't miss an Instagram post. I'll miss like 20. Mm -hmm. Like if my scheduled stuff is not going out, that means that I have totally, you know, shit the bed somewhere. And I will probably continue to shit it for several days, right? So what is that? How do we how do we rein ourselves in? How do we build ourselves up? And how do we is the boldness something? It's a chicken and egg situation. Do we rely on boldness to put ourselves out there? Or do we put ourselves out there to find our boldness? What do we do? I mean, I think it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of number one having that real drive and that that laser-focused vision on what it is that you are doing in your business. And I love to also back that up with systems and um, essentially like making your process a little bit easier, like really leaning into automation and getting the most out of your content. Um, I'm a huge, huge supporter of repurposing content as well. So like <sighs> even on like days when like I feel like you know, like, I feel like I can't show up on Instagram today. It's just too much work. I will just go and take an old video and post that because right? at least it's getting something out. And, you know, nobody's going to remember that you have posted that three months ago, you know? And if they do, they get excited. The way that I think about repurposing. Mm -hmm. How old are you, Megan? I'm 36. Okay. So you're, I'm 38, almost 39. So we're close. But like back in the day, when we were little and VHS was still the norm, Disney would bring stuff out of the Disney vault. Do you remember this? They would have like yep. Snow White is coming out of the Disney vault and you can buy it now for like two weeks and then it's going back into the Disney vault. It's a movie that's been out since the 40s that you could go get on VHS at a Goodwill for 25 cents. But okay, Disney, bring that out of the vault. So sometimes when I feel weird or cheap or lazy about my repurposing, I have to be like, excuse me. Excuse me. If Disney can bring 101 Dalmatians in and out of the vault 57 times during my childhood and treat it <laughs> like it's a new big deal every time, so can I because not everybody will remember and not everybody's paying that close of attention, right? Exactly. Exactly. Weird rant about the Disney vault, but that was even as a kid, like... Even as a kid, I'm watching Little Mermaid and they're like, Sound of Music is, or Sound of Music, hello. They're like, Snow White is coming out of the vault. And I'm like, I already have it, Disney, calm down. Like, please. <laughs> but why, why do we think, where did we get the idea that reusing our content is any of those things? Gauche, lazy played out, whatever. Why, why, where did, how did repurposing get such a bad rap? I mean, I think it's years and years and years of Instagram culture of having to be perfect and polished and, 
on your game and always traveling somewhere exotic and, you know, recording every meal that you have. And it has to have like the perfect angle of the spoon out of the bowl and stuff like that. Like it's years and years and years of that where we feel like we have to have this picture perfect life where like, I truly feel like marketing at this point in time is shifting. Like it's shifting more towards that, like realness, that unpolished nature, that show me the behind the scenes, show me the messiness. Um, and it's really refreshing, honestly. Like it's it's refreshing to see like, oh, there are actual human beings out there on the other sides of these screens and not just like these like travel influencers, you know? Right. Show it, show it to us real, right? Like one of the guests on this show, one of the previous guests on the show was like, show the striving. And I'm like, ooh. Show the striving, yeah. right? But that's it. Like, we're not as keyed into glossy guru culture as we once were. And that's not required of us as content providers. And so, yeah, if you've got something really good that you're really proud of and or moreover, if you put something out and people really love it and go, oh, my gosh, I've been waiting to hear this. I need this. Then that needs to go to the top of your repurposing list. And you need to set that to repeat like all the time, all yeah. the time. And I feel like, like even like the, the throwing away of this perfectness, like, and embracing this realness that we're seeing across marketing is just like, that's forcing people to be bold. Like it's forcing people mm. to get really, really clear on like, okay, well, I can't show this picture perfect thing. I guess I got to be a little real with it. Like, what am I going to show behind the scenes? Like, what do I actually want to say and share with the world? Isn't that interesting? Because so many people come to me and they're like, I'm not showing up, but I know it's just my ego and da, 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 da. And sometimes it is. Like, I didn't sleep great last night. I got bags under my eyes that you can see from where you are and I can swim in from here, right? But, but A, I'm not doing video right now, which is easier for me to kind of adjust into. But sometimes people come to me and they're like, it's not vanity. I just don't know how to show up like that and da, da, da. And you're like, they don't know what they want to say, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. it is like, oh, my hair looks weird today. And sometimes it's like, hold on. Do they really want to hear me rant about X or Y again? Yes. Yes, they do. Do people really want to also, listen to me flail audibly on a podcast? Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's worth saying, too, that, like, people care less about what you look like than you think. It's more of, like, a, a thing where the person who's speaking cares a lot more about those things. So, um, you know, oftentimes when people show up, you know, hair up in a messy bun, like no makeup on and just kind of give it to you straight on video. Like those are the pieces that really connect with people because it feels like a FaceTime call. Like it feels like you just picked up the phone and you just needed to say something and get something that was yes. out of your mind onto the camera. Instantaneous no like trust. It's like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Although, y'all, if you would stop taking pictures while you're actively driving in a car, fine. But like the people that live stream while driving, I just want you to get home safely. Arrive alive, people. Yes, absolutely. Click it or ticket, people. Eyes on the road. Like, oh God. Every time I see those, I'm like, too authentic, too authentic. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're freaking me out. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just because I like live in a major metropolitan area. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's thousands of other cars on the road. Anyway. So, you know, I think the one thing that's so interesting is that this idea of greatest hits of content or repurposing or, you know, I just hired somebody literally to take all these old episodes and and cut them up into some way new. And it's like, there's so much room for new growth and new discovery there. When you're looking at your repurposing, um, how do you know, A, what you are going to choose to repurpose or B, how you want to repurpose? Like, tell me a little bit about Lift the Veil. What's your repurposing process look like? Um, I try to repurpose as much as possible. It's not a pick and choose thing for me. It's every piece of content that gets created, we're stretching it as far as it can go. Um, I usually start with a vertical piece of video. So I usually start for TikTok first. Um, I have several automations set up in my business where once I post a TikTok, um, I use a tool called repurpose.io to auto repost that onto several platforms. Um, I also do some manual reposting in my strategy as well. And I have just like a good old fashioned Google sheet where I plug in the name of the video, plug in the date that I posted it. And then I have a column for, did you post this on Instagram? Yes or no. Did you post this on YouTube? Yes or no. And that's how I keep track of it. Um, It works pretty well. And it's like one of those things where I hear people tell me all the time, like, I just see you everywhere. Anytime I go online, you're just there. Like you are just omnipresent, no matter what platform I go to, you're just always there. And I'm like, this is partially due to the systems that I've set up in my business. So that way I can look like I'm in a bunch of places, but in reality, it's not that much of a heavy lift on my end. Like that repurposing on my end from a manual perspective, maybe takes me like, 10 or 15 minutes a day. Not too shabby. So all the rest of it is automated. Gorgeous. Now, I love that you're talking about omnipresent marketing because that's the goal. And I also feel like it's so misunderstood from a kind of lean and agile perspective because what you're talking about underneath this is you have systems, you have processes, you have automation, and you have a vault of back catalog copy and stuff that you can play with, right? And so people are like, oh, you're everywhere. I got to be creating for all these things. Okay. And they come to me and they're like, here's my editorial calendar. And they're like, I got to post to LinkedIn four times a day. And then I got to do the blog post. And then over here, I got to do the podcast. And then the podcast has its own blog post. And then this, and then that, and then I'm going to use AI and I'm going to do all this and I'm going to get 15 tweets. And I'm like, okay, slow down. That's the trick of omnipresence, right? The trick of omnipresence is have the systems push you out to the platforms you choose to be on consistently, right? Have your best branded stuff forward, be bold, get your differentiators out there. Because part of being like, oh, Megan is everywhere is because when I'm scrolling, you stop the scroll because I know it's yours, right? It doesn't really matter to be everywhere. If you're putting out your generic stuff, I'm just going to scroll right past it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But people is, are so yeah. worried about being seen on multiple platforms, but then they want to be seen on multiple platforms, but then they don't want to be redundant, but then they don't want to be repetitive and then they don't want to be annoying, but then they want to be everywhere. And then they were like, okay, do I need to be on lemonade? Like, what? 
Like, break down these myths of omnipresence for us, please. I mean, first of all, I don't really worry about people seeing me on multiple platforms and getting like annoyed or turned off by that. Because like, I think about it this way, like how many times have you talked to, tried to talk to somebody about like TikTok and so that person has said, oh, I will never get a TikTok account. It's like, you know, or I'll, I'll never get on Instagram or I left Facebook a long time ago. It's like, okay, well, I'm still going to post my stuff there because there are still people over there. Uh, there are still people consuming that content. Um, no matter what platform you're talking about. And even if um, the person happens to see it a second time, like it usually takes a few different times for somebody to see that message for them to actually, number one, retain the information and to also take action on it. So, you know, maybe there's a higher chance there of them saving that post or for them being like, oh yeah, that's something that I need to do. And that's a really good tip that I need to integrate in my business. And so I really don't worry about like the cross-pollination of content across platforms. You know, you also brought up saves. I'm fascinated by the Instagram save. Everybody talks about like the regram or the comments or the this or that. And I know that we know that, but I am always freaking fascinated when I look at my social analytics that some of my least performing posts otherwise in terms of engagement are like the highest save. Do you have that too? What is that? Is that like a weird intimacy thing where people are like, well, I don't want to like it, but I'm going to squirrel it away forever. Like, do you, am I alone in this? What's going on with the Instagram save? It's so, it's like my favorite Agatha Christie myths, mystery. I'm like, got to get to the root of this. I found that like people either save things for later for like implementation or they save it for inspiration. So I've had like a lot of like other web designers like save my posts for later for maybe like, and I'm like, why are other web designers like saving my content? Like they're either consuming it for tips or they're consuming it because they want to make a similar type of content. Like, I don't know. Um, but that's what I've noticed. What are some ways that, you know, obviously we all want to have the multi-million dollar marketing and branding budget and, you know, all the bells and the whistles and the fabulous, you know, if I could give everybody like a puppy and a matching sweater, I would. They would be adopted out of shelters, but they would all be wearing matching sweaters. So, you know, but since I can't go around and uh, give everyone I have ever met a puppy with my logo, around its beautiful neck. Um, what are some things that every brand can do to polish their boldness or to polish their differentiators and, and stand out a bit more? Yeah. Um, one of the most important key things is to get a brand style guide in place for their business. Um, this is one of the key things that I help my clients with. Um, it's one of the assets that they walk away with after we finish working together. Um, this is basically a guide that goes into not only your mission and core values, but also the graphic designed elements that you're going to be using, your logo, your font system, your color palette, uh, your patterns, your iconography, all of the um, you know different ways that images should play with text and like how these assets should be used in real world scenarios. This asset is just such a valuable piece of the puzzle because it essentially will allow you to take that document and then give it to anybody on your team for implementation. 
And that way it's not you that's having to do the actual implementation. You can essentially teach someone how to effectively use your brand without you having to like sit there and like hold their hand while they create the assets. Yeah. Without having to babysit. Yes. And I love that idea because then the boldness will come through as consistency, right? I say all the time, if you don't get selective about your brand, people will select it for you. Meaning they will cobble your brand together of the disparate things they see. When you have something so critical as a brand guide or a style guide in place, both in your visuals, your hex codes, your fonts and all that, but also your language, how do you make this sound yeah. like you? I use these words. I say, hey there. And I say, y'all. I don't say hi. I don't say hello. I say, hey there. And I say, y'all. You'll know it's an Annie post if I say y'all, right? Like, it's like for good or for ill, you know, Trump is tweeting if it's in all caps and you know one of his handlers is doing it if it's got good punctuation, right? Like with me, if the word <laughs> y'all's in it, you know, it's either coming from me or somebody who's been well-trained by me to be like, oh, this has a sound like Annie, Right. And it's like, cause that's consistent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's all about the consistency too, especially when you're bringing on team and you know, you're expanding what you are doing in your business. Like it's so, so important that you have that foundation in place so that it just feels seamless on the client's end. Yes. 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 And if you're doing any kind of service delivery, if you're in the marketing or branding spaces, or the visual or graphic design spaces, then yes, absolutely. You're going to rely on the things that they have chosen to amplify and polish for the boldness. We just got to apply that to our own shit as well. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I love that like today we've been talking about repurposing. We've been talking about omnipresence and showing up and consistency. And and it's so interesting that our, our pop culture choice today is a musical one. Because the, I am convinced that every person in the entire universe knows one song by the next band, one, and they don't even play it anymore because everybody knows that one song, but it's still so distinctly part of their brand that if you went to a far flung corner of the world and started to sing Creep, they'd be like, oh, Radiohead. But Radiohead is a lot more than that and a lot more vast than than just creep. Uh, just as we are all repurposing our greatest hits material, but we are not one hit wonders either. So, Megan, what marketing, branding, differentiation, consistency, boldness, showing up, omnipresence, what lessons can we learn from Tom York and his merry band of wonderful weirdos, Radiohead? I mean, I could literally talk about this band for an entire podcast episode, but um, I really think that they are so special in the way that they present themselves as a brand because it feels like the first time that I ever heard Radiohead, I was like, what is this? I, I don't know what that I've never seen this or heard this before. Um, and so that's really the thing that you should be aiming for, like with your branding and with your business. Like, how can you create that? What is this with your audience? Um, and really kind of tapping into that uniqueness, like that, that what the fuck factor of like, what, what is going on here? You know, um, not to mention, like, if you've ever seen Radiohead live, like, they take an extreme amount of care with their live show. Like, it is a mm-hmm. visual 
extravaganza of sorts. Like it is to delight your senses to the max. Um, And I just really appreciate like that level of care and detail that they put into all of their different shows um, because they understand the, you know, the value of bringing people there and them having such an experience that that's going to be something that they talk about for years. Yep. So that's, that's definitely something to think about, you know, when you are crafting your brand experience, like how do you create that stickiness of like creating those clients for life, you know, creating those fans for life, creating those brand partnerships for life. Oh man. I remember seeing Radiohead at Lollapalooza and I was like laying on one of the side hills and I told myself I was only going to smoke a little bit of pot, but I was laying on the hill that basically like all of us could just be in a contact high for forever. And I remember just like melting into the grass on this hill and just having Radiohead melt my freaking face because of exactly what you're talking about. Not just the sound, but the lights and the presentation and the set list and the, you know, the chatter and the everything was just freaking perfect. It was perfect. And no, I think you're totally right. I think Radiohead is a perfect example of the first time you hear them, you're like, I don't think I've ever heard a band like this before, let alone this band before. I don't think I've ever heard a band like this before. Absolutely. Do you remember what your first Radiohead song was? Like what your gateway drug was for Radiohead? You know, I feel like, I mean, I feel like everybody's heard Kid A. And, and like that was like really big when I was growing up. But I feel like the the first album that I really got into was The King of Limbs. Was just like, that was kind of like, then I started really digging into the archives. And like, I was like, just obsessed at that point. So that's wild. What about you? It, like, I'm curious. Oh, see, I'm a little as as a couple years older than you. I totally agree. Like, then I I would kind of bounce in and out and be like, oh, yay, I love like this or that or the other thing. Or I'd go all the way back to Pablo Honey and like, whatever, like all the way back. It was in third grade when Pablo Honey came out. Like, I'm not trying to claim to be that cool. But 1990, either five or six, Baz Luhrmann gave us a present. He gave us Romeo and Juliet starring Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio. And he gave us the best soundtrack of the entire 90s. And on it was my favorite Radiohead song to this day. And the first one I ever heard, Talk Show Host. It's a good one. And I was just like, what? And they started with like all this like Leonardo like talking. And you're like, oh, it's edgy because they're using a sound thing on the soundtrack like they did all the time in the 90s like oh okay right but then it goes and it's like this weird noise and then it just goes Mm. the first lyric is I want to I want to be someone else or I'll explode and I was in sixth grade when this lyric hit me and I was like yes yes (laughs) what okay what finally someone finally and then they're like i'll be waiting with a gun and a pack of sandwiches and i'm like you lost me a gun and a pack of sandwiches (laughs) what i'm like i feel totally seen 
And then they're like guns and sandwiches. And then we're busting doors down. I don't understand what's happening to me. I am 12 years old and I feel like I'm hearing the voice of an angel tell me to like get a gun and go to Subway. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I just remember <laughs> being like, what? And that whole soundtrack was good. But I would listen to that song over and over and over. And it didn't occur to me that everyone around me singing fake plastic trees was singing my band. And then they're like, yeah, Radiohead. I'm like, oh, that's Radiohead? Oh, of course it's Radiohead. Okay, I get it. But it is, it's that gateway experience, you know? It's that seminal, holy cow, you're doing something different. You know, fabulous Absolutely. strategist Kat Stancic calls that your uh, firecracker moment of like, boom, here it is, folks. Here we go. So I oh. feel like they're also like so, so brilliant when it comes to like creating like these like special experiences for fans. Like they had like that one album where it was like a giant experiment where it was like, hey, what you want? And then yep. like, you know, like you know, the music industry was kind of turning at that point. And like, so it was like this giant thing of like, will people actually pay for our music? Like, do people yeah. actually really support this? Um, and, you know, I, I just look at that as well as like so many other like points in time where they have really tried to create these other experiences for their fans. There was like a, um, I think there was like a, like an online world or something you could you could go into there's been like merchandise like it's it's crazy how many different touch points that they have thought about when it comes to that overall brand of like what it is to be a radiohead fan right so it's just and to the perfect to make music videos like yeah radiohead's videos are sensory overload gorgeousness like i remember when the freaking burn the witch claymation video came out. Yes. I just watched it and watched it and watched it. And it was like, I had never seen claymation before. And it's like, girl, go watch Rudolph and calm down. Like the 50s. Uh, did gone. you ever they see the back? Did you ever see the, uh, there was like a subreddit that was all about like a deep dive when the daydreaming video came out. And it was like <laughs> this guy being like, literally going through every single part of the daydreaming video and like breaking it down, like scene by scene, like really, I mean, some of them were like, all right, this guy's like kind of reaching here, but like, you know, <laughs> for the most part is like, he like create, created this whole story of like what was going on, but really interesting. I think that that is so awesome. Uh, the, the fact that there's even that type of conversation going on, like that is what you want as yes. a brand is just yes. like people like creating their own world from your world. You want your brand to be bigger than you. You want yes. your brand to have a you know, legs and an imagination of its own. People are going to deduce what they want to deduce, right? So yeah, we could be like, whoa, that guy was really reaching. And Tom himself could come <laughs> out and be like, what on earth, right? But like, I, I saw this a bunch with um, Room 30, I think it's 236, which is a documentary about all the fan theories in The Shining. And let alone the fact that like Stephen King hates Kubrick's version of The Shining, like it all he is Stephen King has talked many, many times about the fact that like people are 
bet their whole house, like put a new mortgage on a bet, convinced of things in The Shining and they bring it up to him. I know George R.R. R. Martin has said the same stuff where people are like, this is the lore. Like, I know that this is true. This is what is happening. And these people that created the world are like, that never even occurred to me. How cool is that? <laughs> and the people are like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, I didn't. I I gave the hotel room a number and moved on with my life. Like, I wasn't trying to conjure the <laughs> Illuminati or something. Like, what? <laughs> Right. But like people are going to come and they're going to be like, oh, when you wrote that. OK, perfect example. I wrote The Coach Who Would Not Sell to help coaches sell. And because, yeah, it's called The Coach Who Would Not Sell. And then everybody came to me and they're like, Annie, you wrote this scathing allegory about toxic coaching and the importance of uh, quality mentorship. And I'm like, I did. And they're like, oh, you didn't mean to. And I'm like, I wrote a sales book for coaches. But <laughs> Sure. It just goes to show you that like that your brand is like the perception of like what people mm. think it is, right? Like it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it matters to an extent, like what you put into it, but like at the end of the day, it's what people get out of it. Oh, I love that. Your brand is in the eye of the beholder. Truly. That's both liberating and challenging. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to manipulate that, but... <laughs> You know, that's where branding comes in. Yes, that's where being deliberate and consistent comes in all over again. Yes. All over again. <sighs> all right. Well, I'm going to release you back to your glorious day, but I have two more questions for you. Um, the first one, so we've been talking about repurposing and, and reinvention and everything, but like, let's say that you pull a true... Radiohead album release. And what I mean by that is you're all over the internet. You get really tired of people requesting Megan's Greatest Hits, your own versions of Creep. And you're like, I'm getting off the internet for a while. I'm going underground and I'm going to make some art and I'm going to come back out. And when I do, everyone's going to know it's undeniably Radiohead. And yet we're all going to be so shocked that this is Radiohead. So Megan, you go underground. Because you don't want to sing Creep anymore. And then you come out, let's say in, tw it's 2023 right now. Let's say you come back out in 2026 with a whole new edge. What is the album cover of New Megan or the album title of New Megan or anything about the new bold direction of the Megan Gersh Company? <laughs> giving yourself the radio head treatment. How are you reinventing? My God, that was not the question that I was anticipating. So I had all these answers like stored in my head, but now I have to come up with a new answer. Um, I don't know if I had to like reinvent myself. Like I've always wanted to be a musician myself. And so I wonder Ooh. if I would take that direction. Um, I feel like I've tried and maybe just kind of, I don't know, just it's never stuck with me to like, really learn an instrument and like really yeah. kind of dive into that world but like I feel like in another life like maybe I was some kind of like musician or something all right 
I love it. We'll come out like suddenly all the brands will be fully musical and all the websites will be fully musical and orchestral and lush and incredible. And I love it. Well, before you are driven underground by your fans to create your new musical existence, before that happens, how do our listeners come into your world and start a conversation with you? Absolutely. So if you need help with your branding or your website design, and you really want to stand out from the rest of the people that are kind of doing the same boring, bland, beige thing online, uh, get in touch with me. My website is megangersh.com. It's M-E-G-A-N-G-E-R-S-C-H. If you go to megangersh.com slash resources, there's a bunch of freebies there you can grab as well. Um, And you can find me on social media at megangersh. Phenomenal. (sighs) Megan, it has been a delight having you here today. Thank you so, so much for lending your brain and your brilliance to our little show. My God, thank you so much. This was super, super fun. And I'm just excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Y'all, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. First and foremost, I absolutely cannot start this episode without celebrating and sending so much gratitude out to you, the listener, for the fact that our little show here just turned three years old. That's right. As of December 7th, TLTQ is a toddler. Making this show is an immense and glorious labor of love that I could not do without my diehard ride-or-die producer, Andrew Sims, and each and every one of you liking the show, commenting, sharing, guesting, you name it. So thank you. I tried to pick which Radiohead album I was going to listen to to celebrate, and I couldn't pick. I just kind of wound up listening to a mishmash of it all, and it was all so distinct. I almost decided to change today's homework for you. But I was looking for that one thing that would make it so distinctly a Radiohead song or a Radiohead album. And the only commonality I could find, y'all, was that they were always completely willing to be 150% Radiohead. It's not always the same. There are concept albums. There are popular albums. There are anthems, ballads, and boppers, right? There are so many different styles. But in every single one, they allow themselves to come across and have their artistry at the forefront. It also, as a band, showcases the individuality of every single member within those own styles. And I think there's a real lesson for us in there because many of us don't do just one thing. We do many things. We're Renaissance people, multi-potentialites, and we get bored when you try to pigeonhole us into just one service or one offer. But differentiation matters in crowded markets, and it matters even more when you dilute your own message by having so many things. So you may have heard the riches and the niches, and in a lot of aspects, that is true. But because I'm going to assume you out there have many passions and contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman would say, your homework this week is to reconsider one of the best questions I've ever been asked 
by my work sister and coach, Krista Grasso. What is the cross-section of you? What is the cross-section that makes your work yours? For mine, it's my enthusiasm. Maybe my relentless millennialism. I don't know. Combination of the two. But whether I'm teaching you how to sell or rewriting your website or putting out an episode of this podcast, you know you're going to get me because I work hard to differentiate myself in this way to the point where I was recently dubbed the Cindy Lauper of sales. How lovely is that? But I can't get named stuff like that if I'm not working hard to differentiate myself in my lane and in my industry. Now, the point of this week's homework is not to self-label with some, you know, adorable title that you can throw up on LinkedIn. And if you're inspired to do so, I did. Please feel free. But instead, I want you to imagine your friends, your competitors, your peers sitting in a room with you. Look to the left. Look to the right. How do you serve your target market differently than they do? I used to say better, but people have a real issue with better. Instead, your homework is how are you different? And then to get bold about those differences in the way that Megan talked about today. And don't forget, just like Megan said, if you're looking for something to turn up the volume on, your values are always a great place to start. I can't wait to see what you come up with. But for now, I'm going to go listen to some Radiohead. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbasio, And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time. <laughs>